0: Section 3 of The Kidnapping of President Lincoln and Other War Detective Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano the kidnapping of president lincoln and other war detective stories by joel chandler harris in the order of providence part one it is impossible for the present generation to realize the nature and extent of the wound inflicted on the southern people of that day by the surrender of lee's army in eighteen sixty five and assuredly it is beyond description. No historian will ever be able to explain it or make its characteristics manifest to the modern mind. It is fortunate, perhaps, that this is so. A population can go through such an experience, but once in its history. No disaster that might overtake us now could match that which marked the defeat and dissolution of the Confederate army. And the reason lies on the surface. It is an experience that makes provision against itself. On the tender hand unused to labor, a blister is succeeded by a callous, and so it is with the heart. Sensibilities wounded and torn can never again respond as sharply and as keenly to the pangs of misfortune and disappointment. One journey through the furnace of despair gives a long vacation to those qualities that are as rare and as fine as the rainbow sheen on a piece of silk as restless and as vivid and there is something grievous and uncomfortable in the consolation that time offers for qualities thus consumed will hardly be missed save by those who have been witnesses to the beauty and perfection of their play and who knew their import the miracle of dissolution happened the earthquake arose shook itself yawned and fell back into its abyss Carrying with it the whole structure and fabric of a newly formed government and the dearest hopes of those who had contributed to its upbuilding, hundreds of men and women never recovered from the shock. Some of them pined away and died. Others lived on, as it were, in a dream, while still others, cast in an adventurous mould, betook themselves into self-imposed exile. Among these exiles was Colonel Fontaine. Flourney. Who had risked his life on many fields and in diverse ways in behalf of the confederacy some of the undertakings in which he engaged were such as most men shrank from but he as his name implied came from a family given over to valorous deeds and romantic adventures for this name comes from the days of chivalry when the knight of the black flower Fleur Noir, made his nom de guerre so famous that it usurped the place of the family surname taking all these things into consideration it is small wonder that colonel Flournoy considered himself an exile and a wanderer a man without a country from the moment that lee surrendered his army he was an officer in the confederate army on detached service two weeks before the surrender he was in new york city a week afterward he was piloting the remnants of the confederate government southward and lending active assistance in guarding the treasure which was carried along with it at washington in wilkes county georgia this treasure was divided and an amount sufficiently large fell to colonel flornay's share to enable him to carry out his purposes he pushed on to middle georgia where his home was made provision for the wants of his wife and son a lad of sixteen bade them good-bye and with colonel tombs for a companion made his way to the florida coast here the two confederates parted company tombs went to europe while Flournoy went to cuba and from that island found his way to south america his adventures in these queer republics seething with revolutions rebellions and riots were numerous enough to fill a book of romance but it is sufficient to say that in the course of five years he returned home with a fortune considerably larger than the one which war had taken from him he returned bent on enjoying a life of elegant ease after his turbulent career but the best part of his vigour was spent to sustain himself in the civil war and in the south american troubles where he had seated and unseated more than one government he had been compelled to employ the store of energy that should have been reserved for old age to draw upon he had enjoyed the companionship of his family and his friends not more than a year when he fell a victim to a disease the seeds of which she had brought with him from the tropical swamps and jungles where his later campaigns had carried him it need not be said that the death of colonel flornay occasioned deep grief to all who knew him where his personal friendship had not an opportunity to go his gentle courtesy went and even those who had been made the object of one of his casual salutations regarded to him thereafter as something more than an acquaintance his obsequies were very imposing by reason of the multitude that gathered together to pay the last tribute of respect to the memory of the most notable private citizen of middle georgia so far as colonel florinay's immediate neighbors were concerned there was one disclosure following hard upon the heels of the funeral discourse delivered with such genuine feeling and simple eloquence by reverend sampson white that for a time stopped the mouth of friendly reminiscence and put curiosity on tiptoe. It had been the colonel's wish that, after all had been said over his remains, that grief could suggest or friendship devise, his last will and testament should be opened and read in the presence of his neighbours before they had dispersed. It was a whim, perhaps, but it was of a peace with the openness and candour of the man. The duty of reading the will devolved on Judge Vardaman a close friend of the family and his sonorous voice rang out even more effectively than had the soft and persuasive tones of reverend sampson white so much so that mrs Betsy nicklin contented as long as she had lived that it would have been better and more helpful in every way if the judge had preached the sermon leaving the preacher to read the legal document colonel flornay was very rich and it was known beforehand that he intended to add to the endowments of various institutions and to leave legacies to a number of his friends but the bequest which gave philip the curiosity of the large field in which gossip and inquisitiveness might play was as follows and remembering with constant and increasing affection the services rendered to me personally and to the sacred cause in which the southern people had embarked by my dear friend lawrence mccarthy who from May first, eighteen sixty two to April thirtieth, eighteen sixty five, acted as head waiter of the New York Hotel in New York City? I do hereby will, devise, and bequeath to him, his heirs and assigns forever, the house and lot known as the Pearson Place, and the plantation lying contiguous thereto, the said lot and contiguous plantation being fully described in the deeds marked F and G. In addition to this bequest and devisement, I do hereby make it the duty of my executors here and after, named to pay into the hands of the aforesaid Lawrence McCarthy, or his surviving heirs, if he have any, the sum of ten thousand dollars in cash, the same to be paid on the eve of the Christmas next ensuing after my death. And I hereby make it the duty of my son, Francis Flornet, to seek out the aforesaid Lawrence McCarthy or his heirs if he be dead and i laid upon him as a solemn charge to be diligent and zealous in all ways in carrying out the terms of this clause of my last will and testament all incurred expenses to be paid equally out of each share of my estate save that which is herein set apart for the benefit and behoof of the said lawrence mccarthy his heirs and assigns now assuredly here was matter for gossip to busy itself about for the pearson place was marked by one of the most elaborate and best preserved specimens of colonial architecture to be found south of the james river as the saying is the site was commanding and rising two and a half stories the old structure seemed to take a certain grandeur from its surroundings the plantation attached to it and made part of the bequest comprised not less than four hundred acres of the richest land in a county noted for the fertility of its soil and this historic old house and this splendid plantation were to fall into the hands of a total stranger a man whom rockville had never heard of and a yankee at that not only a yankee but a hotel waiter mrs Betsy nicklin who is the mouthpiece of a great many people less outspoken than she could neither make head nor tail to this devisement she said as much to her husband when the two had returned home from the funeral i've been knowin fountain florida more'n forty year she said and if anybody had up and told me that he'd a wind up his business with each doin as that i'd a felt like a knockin em down but i'm not a bit surprised not a bit there never was a better man i'll say that much but fountain was a man and there never was a man that didn't have a screw loose summer. Some are too lazy to show it, and some die before they get a chance, but if they ain't shiftless and live long enough, they'll show a weak spot. Some on em show it when they get married, said Mr Nicklin. You'd a showed if I'd a let you, responded Mrs. Betsy. You know as well as I do, Weasley. If it hadn't a been for me, you'd a married old Mul Coy, and what would you look like now? Well, I ain't so mighty certain, Betsy, that I look one whit better than Martin McCoy. I met him t'other night, ridin about in the moonlight, and whilst well, he couldn't speak when spoken to, I don't know but what he looked very bit and grain as good as every other man in the county. He had on the Sunday duds, for one thing. You didn't tell me about it, Weasley, Mrs. Nicklin declared with some asperity. You didn't ax me to, her spouse responded. She gave him what she called a look was one of her methods of crushing her opponents mr micklin didn't wither as he might have been expected to one reason was that he was a man past middle age another reason was that he was at that moment engaged in grinding some dry tobacco cuttings between the hard palms of his strong hands to fit them for service in his pipe where did you see him weasley mrs Nicklin inquired her tone was imperative as it was always when she desired to attract her husband's undivided attention see who betsy oh martin coy why i see them coming out colonel florney's front gate twas the night the colonel died you reckon he killed him he's none too good to do that declared mrs nicklin her husband turned upon her with amazement in his face why betsy he declared you'll let your tongue run on till you have a libel ticked out against you and when that's done don't you run to me for to bail you out no i'll let the law take its course tipsy topsy toddle dolly broke its noddle cried mrs nicklin sarcastically when did i ever run to you to get me out of trouble why when you sent me word that you had set your cap for me replied mr nicklin promptly whereupon his wife indulged in a fit of hearty laughter remarking if there ever was a goose in this world i got him when i got you you tried hard to be the gander betsy said mr nicklin as he lit his pipe and began to smoke with an air of supreme contentment this couple seemed to be engaged in a chronic quarrel from year's end to year's end and yet they had never had a serious misunderstanding and were happy in each other's company well said mrs nicklin trying hard to snap thumb and finger i wouldn't give that for old martin coy and all the lie-bills he could fetch in agin me twixt christmas and christmas "'But I'd give a party to know how come Fountain Flourney "'to have such a mortal weakness for a Yankee "'and a hotel waiter at that. "'That's what pesters me.' "'To tell the truth, it pestered a good many people "'in Middle Georgia when they heard of it. "'But when young Francis Flourney, "'carrying out the duty laid upon him by his father's will, "'had found Lawrence McCarthy in Brooklyn, "'where he was living with his daughter Nora "'in very modest circumstances,' and had installed this interesting family in their new home the public mind of the neighborhood was no longer pestered about it the first to call was judge Verdemann. the judge's driver said afterward that mars walton seed de other man walkin bout on these trees and he went where he was and den he fought a yell and dey half grab one udder round de neck and dar dey had it right at first lo dey was fightin and i came mighty sigh hollin' for somebody to run and part em but i soon see dey was howdyin and such howdyin man sah twas ye ex- the de meetin or two sisters arter so long a time and in fact the two men had been comrades and messmates in the earliest campaigns in the west and following forrest out of fort donelson on the night of february fifteenth eighteen sixty two they became separated and never met again until judge vardeman moved more by curiosity than by neighborly feelings called to pay his respects to the new owner of the pearson place why larry he cried still keeping his hand on his old comrade's shoulder it's all over the county that you're a hotel waiter and i came over to see how a waiter would look as a landed proprietor my dear friend if you only knew how glad i am to see you after all these years there's no need to say it walton i judge your feelings by my own for my part i can truly say that god is merciful as well as bountiful yonder is nora my little girl she'll be glad to see her father's old friend he called and nora came running and whether he was influenced by his surroundings or whether his eyes told him the simple truth judge vardaman thought he had never seen as charming a girl as nora mccarthy her hair was glossy black, her eyes were gray or blue as the light fell on them, and the rose tints flowed faintly or radiantly in response to her emotions. The play of her features was wonderful to see, and each movement of her body, every gesture of her white hands, rhymed to the artless grace and innocence of youth. In repose, her countenance gave out those inscrutable, indescribable suggestions of old songs and old romances that are to be found in the ideal portraits painted by the great masters having a mind sensitive to impressions of this sort the grave judge caught himself sighing even as he smiled he felt irresistibly drawn to this beautiful girl who although she had reached the years of a young womanhood was still a girl in whom a dash of waywardness seemed nothing more than sprightliness happier those whose lights faults flutter FOR BEAUTY AND GRACIOUSNESS. while CAPTAIN Lawrence McCARTHY, BEING DULY INSTALLED IN HIS POSSESSIONS, IT WAS NOT LONG BEFORE ALL HIS NEIGHBORS HAD AN INKLING OF HIS SOMEWHAT ROMANTIC CAREER, OF THE RISKS HE HAD RUN, AND THE DEVOTION HE HAD SHOWN TO THE CONFEDERATE CAUSE. HE THOROUGHLY ENJOYED HIS NEW LIFE, AND HE BEGAN AT ONCE TO APPLY TO THE MANAGEMENT OF HIS PLANTATION, THE METHODICAL SKILL AND UNERRING JUDGMENT WHICH ENABLED HIM TO MANIPULATE MEN and create opportunities as the manager of the secret service of the confederacy in new york in short he was conspicuously successful as a farmer because he knew how to manage men because he had the art of inspiring them with his own tireless energy as he was a man who loved company and knew how to entertain his guests his home soon became a social centre whatever training as a hostess his daughter nora lacked was more than compensated for by her sweetness and simplicity she knew how to be natural and it is a great gift in man or woman she had a fine voice and performed on the harp hardly an evening passed that judge vardaman was not to be found at the pearson place and his example was soon followed by the choicer spirits of the village at least once and sometimes twice a week all the men and women as well as the boys and girls who were socially inclined met at the pearson place and at such times the youngsters usually had a frolic so that it happened that in all that region captain mccarthy's house was the only one in which old-fashioned hospitality was revived and put to its finer uses the young people had the spacious parlor and the wide dining-room in which to dance and play the innocent games that led to love-making while the elders had the library, or in fine weather the wide veranda, for amusement there was whist or cribbage. But those who once got a taste of Captain McCarthy's reminiscences, or heard one of Judge Vardaman's stories, preferred to sit where those two were conversing, or to linger within earshot. End of section three, recording by Greg Giordano, Newport Richie, Florida.